Hello and welcome to another episode of Healing Racism in Schools with Charlotte Stevens and the Ancestors. I'm giving thanks for the morning. I took a beautiful morning walk and the fog was coming in over the hills and I haven't gotten up early to take a walk in a long time and I swear the world is more beautiful, more magical in the morning. So I, have to, I often like to do that and then go back to bed and take a nap and then wake up again in the afternoon. So um, anyway, I had a really great walk and I live in Ohlone indigenous territory. So they have erected some history. So I get to learn a little bit about the history on my walk of this, the area where I live, which is, which is nice. Um, so I wanted to talk today about, and I actually, I don't even want to talk about this, but I, I, I'm going to talk about, um, mental health and suicide. And I'm, bringing this up for a number of reasons. So during the week of August 9th, so about two, three weeks ago, um, there's three educators that I know of who were suicidal that week or even, or even attempted suicide that week. And one of those people being myself. So myself and two other educators I know that week um, were either suicidal or attempted suicide. And that's not something that we talk about, but it is very common. It's very common, and it's especially common in marginalized communities, um, communities of color, um, people who have various sexual orientations or gender identities. And um, not only is it very common in these, uh, these communities, but it's the um, living in a white supremacist, heterosexist, sexist, classist, um, toxic masculinity society exasperates all of these issues, right? That, that will, um, it, the, that type of society where there's so much uh, toxicity and hostility and violence and abuse and discrimination perpetuates mental health issues. It also limits access for people to get mental health help. So even if you're um, a, a, a well-off white person, there is very little mental health help that, um, because we don't value mental health as a society. So white, white society doesn't value you know, mental health. Um, white society values money, which is why for a lot of us, we have to choose between making money and um, taking care of our health. And for our people, um, for black folks and, and, and other um, marginalized communities, indigenous folks, people of color, we don't get to take care of our health. I remember being sick and I was teaching elementary school at the time and um, I was legit sick. I needed probably a week off, you know, to just really recover. And but I was just like, I can't afford to take a week off. Like I, I didn't have um, sick days. I didn't have I don't know if I even had health insurance. So I couldn't afford to take days off because I only showed up. I only got paid for what I what I showed up right? If I wasn't there, there was no sick leave. So I remember having to choose like, you know, like more often than not, you have to just, if you, if you can survive, get through the day and get paid. And 
you know, we're seeing that with people with, with Corona too, where it's like, you know, we want to say stay home if you're sick, but if you're not going to pay people to stay home, you know, their bills don't care that they're, that they're sick, right? Like the fact that my rent doesn't care that I'm sick. I have things I have to pay for, or even like my health insurance, my health insurance is expensive as hell. So there's all kind of ways that because white supremacy and toxic masculinity and heterosexism and all these other things are in place that perpetuates and exasperates um, mental health issues in different communities and limits access. It creates more stigma um, in the African-American community. It's it's like we always have this this horrible, horrific history that we can point back to and be like, well, they survived that, you know, so surely you can get through this. Surely you can, you know, figure out how to just get through the day and just, I know you have like this debilitating depression, but just pull yourself, pull yourself up. You think our ancestors didn't have debilitating depression? Of course, they didn't even have have resources. Like, so you have, you have that, you have the, you know, just take it to Jesus, just pray it away. Um, And there's not a lot of support around do what you're going to do or the, you know, the self-care, but that's not the same thing as like mental health care and self-care, you know, can help with, I think like a lot of more moderate or mild versions of mental health issues, but the more severe um, issues, that's, that's not enough, right? Like my, my self-care is, um, is essential, but it's still not enough. So so much I want to say there's part of the reason I'm doing this is because I don't want to. And I, <laughs> and I feel, um, I have like a personal kind of thing that I live by that if there's something that I don't want to do, but I know that it can help other people and I know that I can handle it. Like I don't want to do it, but I, I can do it. And it's, and even though there might be backlash, I know I'm strong enough to take it. And that can help save lives, especially, you know, black lives and and other people who are marginalized, like then I have to do it. So I do not like talking about my mental health conditions. Um, I'm finding all kind of terms for it because I don't like, I don't think of it as an illness in this, in the sake that, in the, in the, in the me, and what am I trying to say? In the perspective that, um, in some ways it's a total gift, right? Like it, it's not like illness is just, it's not, it doesn't tell the whole story, right? There's times when I definitely feel um, incapacitated or debilitated or just limited by having bipolar too. Um, but there's other times where I'm like, yo, it's also my superpower because I am very high functioning, right? Um, and that's, that's, that's a blessing and a curse. Because I'm so high-functioning, it can make me doubt that I have this condition. And, I, and I've done that throughout my life where I'm like, am I really bipolar? Like, am I really like, or like, because most of the time I thought I was just depressed, right? And I, and I always think I'm cured because bipolar 2, you have hypermania, which is not the same thing as mania, but either way, your mood lifts. And so I would always think, oh, I'm cured because now I'm like back to loving life. And, and so my hypomania um, with bipolar 2, like I didn't, I didn't get to the point where I'm doing reckless things that are going to get me arrested or where I'm sp- spending, you know, my life savings or, you know, making really bad decisions and, and damaging all kinds of relationships. I still could be, I was more like the life of the party, even though there, were, there was still like some res- the recklessness um, there too. Um, and also very, very charismatic, very, um, 
I can just, I, I can talk. I can talk to anybody. Everything's fascinating. I have all these goals, um, very goal-driven, very goal-oriented. I can achieve all my goals, like, just like, like politician, right? I can run the campaign. I can, I can organize all the things. I can go to all the meetings. I can schmooze with everybody. I can give amazing speeches. I can just be like, oh my God, she's amazing. Like, whoa, like, wow. Um, and that was hypomania, right? I can like, I could, I could write a paper, like a 20 page paper in, in, in two days and just stay up, you know, all day. And like, just had all this energy, all this energy, just buzzing and, and glowing and just oozing like everything, like sexiness and, 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 amazingness and ideas for days and just all of it so that's hypomania and that um that state can be really fun and it can be I can get a whole lot of stuff done you know like I graduated on top of my class from one of the best colleges in the country um I I I was student body president of of De Anza College with like hardly any well I didn't, I didn't have any experience in student government and you know ran a school with a million dollar million dollar budget but i i and i think that my hypomania my you know my my dangerous gift um got me through a lot of that but i also the thing that makes hypomania not truly exciting right like <laughs> like when when you understand it is that it is a dangerous gift i like i got that phrase from somebody from an article i read on on medium who redefined their bipolar disorder as neurodivergent with dangerous gifts. Um, and I think of dangerous gifts like fireworks, like fireworks are amazing and spectacular and incredible, but they're also extremely dangerous and you have to be careful. And so the hypomania can turn into, it can turn into um, depression, which is, not just being sad it's not just i'm blue but like depression affects everything like it's it's the the most mundane task become so hard i remember i was making my bed i got halfway through it and then i just like i i I think i just started crying and went back to sleep like just couldn't i couldn't finish making my bed and and the simplest things like changing out of your clothes or taking a shower I'm pretty good at like like hygiene stuff, but it still probably slows down. Um, but it's just like eating, drinking, everything becomes so difficult. So it's not just like I'm depressed. It's like I can't move. I, I move. I, I move slower. I think slower. I I can't plan. I can't like I, I shut down. Like my body's done. So that's depression. And then when you mix that with hypomania. It becomes what's called a mixed state, which doesn't, which is just a shitty ass phrase because it's not really helpful. Um, I'm reading this book bought by Terry Cheney, um, Modern Madness and also Manic. And she describes it as um, like you're highly irritated. You know, you want to like, I, 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 like, I'm highly irritated. I'm, I, I want to fight everybody. You know, I hate myself. I hate you. Like, like when I'm in a mixed state, it's like I'm actively, I feel homicidal. That's how I feel. Um, I'm, I'm actively like, and suicidal, like I'm agitated as, as fuck. Everything gets on my nerves. Like it doesn't take anything to set me off. Um, and that is actually the most dangerous state because that's when the feeling of, I want to kill myself is activated, right? It's, it's not just like when I'm depressed, I don't have the motivation to do the things or to, you know, to make it happen to in my life. I like, if I, if I'm depressed, I would probably just 
end up not for it would be self, from self neglect that I might end up hurting myself, right? Like I'm just like I'm not eating or I'm not drinking. Like I'm just I'm not gonna do the things because I don't care. What is the point of eating? Who gives a shit, right? Like I'm so tired of food, right? Like so, so I'll get in those spaces where I'm like, mm. um, but when in a mixed state, it's it's like that depression is activated and so it's active and so I just I remember driving recklessly I remember um just going on these like like walking in the middle of the night you know just like angry walking and like just like I wish a motherfucker would you know come try to snatch me I'll slit your throat like just just like in that mood where you're like looking for a fight um and I could tell I'm grateful that like you know it doesn't I'm able to rein it in, but I, I could definitely see that if I had like bipolar one and it turned like the mania really got turned up, I could see myself like, you know, just, just getting arrested, doing things that would get me arrested. Right. So, um, the mixed states are, are very scary and that's why you can't like, I can't just indulge the hypermania. So even though the hypomania feels great and I'm, I'm on top of the world, it's like the perfect state to like go into a job interview. Cause I'm just so charismatic and like, I got all the answers and all the ideas and, you know, um, I have to, I have to rein it in because it could turn into a mixed state where that's that's where people get suicidal like that's where I've been suicidal the most actively suicidal or it could turn into depression and depression I shut down like you know like I just I can't do anything let alone whatever I was gonna like whatever plans I had that's not happening and the depression can just show up out of nowhere at any time so I have been living with this for a long time and really not giving myself credit for how long I've survived this because at my first my first time being suicidal I was I was 10 years old I was 10 years old and I'm 42 and I would say I've probably been suicidal at least once every year since then and, and usually multiple times a year so that's a lot of talking myself off of the ledge. And it's been very difficult because, as I said, um, there's not a lot of help available and there's very little help for people of color. And with bipolar 2, it's, it's, it's hard to diagnose it. People, um, I, I thought I had depression for a long time because that's what shows up. Uh, the most, or that's when you end up going to the hospitals when you're depressed. You don't really go to the hospital when you're in a state of hypomania or, or mania. Or, you know, and a lot of times these appointments are so short that you don't really have time to develop and, and really think about patterns of behavior. Because with bipolar, it's, it's, it's going to be a pattern. You're going to see a cycle. So one of the cycles I've noticed with myself is that in the spring, I tend to get hypomanic. Um, in the summer, I get mixed states. And uh, in the fall and the winter, I tend to, I tend to get more depressive. Um, and so... I thought that was seasonal, you know, seasonal affective disorder. And, and there's aspects of that, but it's, it's more severe than that. You know, I thought this was related because I'd be affected by my period, my menstrual cycle. So I thought it was PMS, PMDD. There's aspects of that, but it's more than that. And so I've had this condition, you know, all throughout college, all throughout, all throughout my life and didn't really understand or know what it was. And I've had really, I've been in therapy for a very long time. And, and a lot of that has been very unsatisfying, unsatisfactory, um, where our medical institutions, like our teaching institutions, lack cultural competency and see things and speak about things from a white supremacist perspective and go into communities of color already doubting our 
uh, mental ability, our, our, you know, our intellectual ability, and already wanting to look at us from like a, um, a patrilineal or not, a, no, uh, patronizing, all of that, um, condescending, and, and also just that, through that lens of great white hope, you're, you know, that colonizer lens of we're going to teach these savages how to live and, 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 and by, our, by our terms. So all of that complicates a, 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 a medical provider's ability to see clearly and to really diagnose properly. Um, and in addition to, I mean, if you really want to talk about it, it's like you're having white people who are like some of the most insane people in the world evaluate people's sanity. It's like, it's because of y'all insanity. Y'all, y'all's insanity has inspired so many other people's insanity, right? This comes from, a lot of this comes from um, unhealed trauma um, within our communities at the hands of, of of white folks, and then we have to go back to white folks to trust them to to help us. And so that's been definitely part of what has kept me from getting help is that. I don't trust these white folks and I don't trust your pills and I don't think you're really listening to me. And at the end of the day, all of these things answer the white power, right? My therapist, one of my therapists, you know, uh, um, threatened to do a wellness check on me when I was suicidal and she's doing her job, you know, but, but a wellness check means the fucking police are coming to my door. And it's just like, that is traumatic as hell. That is so not helping my wellness. In addition to if I'm suicidal, if I'm in a mixed state and I'm suicidal and I'm in that like fuck with me like like I dare a motherfucker I wish a motherfucker would if I'm in that space and you bring the police to my door oh it's it's on and popping I'm it, it's suicide by cop right like this is so this is so not helpful for communities of color who have been victimized and traumatized by the fucking police that's part of the reason why you know I I have the issues I have is because again it's surviving this white supremacist society so and then and then they talk about like you'll hear white people talking about you know when you feel suicidal, just check yourself into a hospital. That's what they're there for, right? A, a mental um, health facility where you're supposed to like you know that they're there to keep you safe. And it's like as a black person, these institutions love to institutionalize black people. Like white folks love to do that to black people who don't have any mental um, divergence. Um, so I'm, I do not feel comfortable on any level surrendering myself to any of these white hospitals when I feel suicidal. Fuck no. Hell no. And that, I imagine that would tr- trigger all kinds of like, I'm trapped on the, the enslavement ship or like I'm, I'm, I'm under like white control. White people have never had, have had my best interest in mind. Like, like racism and white supremacy is an assault on my mental health on a regular basis. So these people created my problems and I'm supposed to trust them. So I say that because what, as I've been looking at more and more books about mental health and, and reading and, and, and trying to find resources, I'm encountering all these white stories. You know, even the book I'm reading now, the, the author I mentioned, Terry Cheney, she's a middle-class white woman in, in like Beverly Hills and she's a lawyer and, and she's affluent and I don't live in her world, right? Like, um, as a black woman, there's far more risk and far more stigma to me coming out. But part of what I also know is that exposure and contact is what, what helps dispel ignorance, right? Like, I would say I'm pretty damn competent, right? I got a lot going for me. I've done things that other people um, who don't have any mental divergence have never done. Started my own business, right? I've, I've, I haven't published my book, but I've written a book, Um 
I graduated on top of my class. I'm a student body president. I've handled a budget of over a million dollars. I have done some kick-ass things and I have bipolar too. And so it's both and, and it's important for people to, to understand that because there's such a stigma around mental divergence or mental illness um, where we believe that, you know, if you have bipolar too, well, surely you can't, you're not capable of doing all of these things, right? Like you're not capable of, of having these six-figure contracts and you're not capable of, of, of trading all of these, these principles and, and vice principles, like, you know, and, and running this, this business, like, but apparently I am, right? Like apparently I am because I'm doing all those things. And, and that thinking is part of what made it so hard for me to accept my diagnosis because I was the same way, especially when like the, 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 the hypomania days would come where like I'm loving life. Life is great. I can't believe I was ever suicidal. Like I wanted to end this. Like this is amazing. Like my life is incredible. I feel so good about myself. Like, but then when I'm depressed, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I even wanted, like I, like I was looking at my what was it? My goal poster or like, or like my, my, my goals for the year. And when I was in my state of depression, I took all those down. I, I got like, I ripped them up. I was like, I, I can't believe I even cared about these things. Like my goal now is like, just to get through this moment, like to hopefully have a reason to, you know, be here tomorrow. So there's such a, a division like whatever mood I'm in is so intense and so real and so present in the moment. And I, and I can't understand what I was thinking or feeling when I'm, when I think about another mood, right? So when I'm, when I'm, when I'm good, it's like, what? I was depressed. Like I cannot relate to that. Or when I'm depressed, like I, I cannot relate to being good. Or when I'm in my like agitated mixed state and I'm just, I hate everybody. I can't relate to what I was ever like complimenting people and spreading all like when I'm, when I'm hypomanic, I'm just spreading love and, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, everything It's just, just oozing like sexiness and brilliance and charismatic and just great. But then when I'm in my mixed state, like I'm oozing hate and just like, I want to kill people. Like I want to bite people. Like, and I don't like, I, I don't, I've never been arrested. I don't, I don't, it's just been in my mind. I'm just like, I've got the road rage, right? Like, I'm just like, my, my vibe is very, is very toxic. It's just, it's, it's, and in that space, I'm just like, I just need to be at home. And as long as nobody like calls me or texts me or like, like, don't come to the door. Like as long as nobody interacts with me, we're good. Right. But the minute somebody like says shit to me, I'm going to fucking pop. So anyway, um, that has made it very difficult for me to accept the diagnosis. And I always want to believe I'm cured, you know, whenever my mood lifts and, um, I would have had an easier time if I had more access to things like this, people that people putting their stories out there and people that I can relate to putting their stories out there. So that's one of the reasons why I'm, I guess, coming clean and that this is something that I have hidden. Like I've, I've tried to hide it. I spend a lot of times, a lot of time, a lot of energy into looking and appearing neuronormal, whatever that even means, but looking like I don't have a mental illness and presenting myself as though I don't have a mental illness. And what that means is, is that, you know, there's days where my eyes are swollen because I was crying, you know, all night, or I've been crying for the last couple of days. And um, now I have to go do a presentation. And so um, I'm making sure that I, I'm doing all this stuff to my eyes to like make them look less, you know, 
swollen, right? Or um, using eye drops so you can't see that my, my eyes are bloodshot or, you know, making sure I got the concealer going because my, my dark circles get really dark, you know, when, when I'm not, when I'm not well. And so, um, things like that. And, and genuine, and, and, um, overall, I am a pretty genuine person, right? But, but I still will tone it down, right? Like instead of saying like, you know, I'm, I'm suicidal depressed, which nobody really wants to hear. Um, but still, um, I'll just, I've say, I'll say things like I've seen better days, right? Like, how are you? I've seen better days, right? Um, rather than like, I'm, I'm really not well. And part of that is because what you, what you going to do about it? You know, like, what are you going to do about it? And, and a, a lot of times, you know, people are very well-meaning, but they don't really know what to say or do. And I'm, and I don't really want to hear what you have to say, because a lot of times it's very, it's very, it's very limiting. I mean, that's why we're limited, like things like, you know, um, oh, exercise and see a therapist and get on medication and, you know, maybe try this, maybe try that, maybe try this. And it's like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Like I, I have, I have extensive knowledge in, you know, like none of that is, is new information or, or, or all that helpful and just, so, um, when it comes to, mental health um one of the reasons it's so important for our educators is because a lot of what you perceive to be as defiance or bad behavior quote-unquote bad behavior is a mental health issue especially if you're I mean if you're dealing with any children but any type of marginalized community any type of community that white people or the mainstream society has isolated excluded abused mistreated you know then you're especially going to see that and and in a lot of these communities there's limited access to care very limited access and we don't there's so much shame that we're conditioned to not tell you the whole story like I, I don't really like to get into how bad things get for me when my providers like ask and I know that like on one hand, they're they're there to help, but I don't really I don't fully trust them. Like I said, they answer to white power, so like everything gets written down, and once things are on your record, you know you you do you, it's another form of discrimination, right? It's another form of discrimination. It's like now I'm mentally you know people will see me as mentally disabled rather than mentally divergent with dangerous gifts, and so then there's the stigma attached. So it's just like um, um, back in the day when people had HIV with HIV was not was not as well understood as it is now, you didn't want that on your record that you had HIV because that would um, affect how doctors and, and medical pro- professionals would treat you, and and it it felt it's another form of discrimination. So anyway, um, suicide is the second highest or second leading cause of death for people aged ten to twenty four years old. Again, suicide is the second leading cause of death, I don't know what the first one is, of young people aged 10 to 24 years old. What does that mean? Well, 10 years old is what, fifth grade? So fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th, 12th, and all throughout college. That population of of people are, are highly at risk of ending their own lives. And if and if that was something else, like diabetes, cancer, coronavirus, whatever, we would be taking that 
seriously. And we, and we would, there'd be a national outcry. We, we would have funds and resources available so that we could treat this, right? Because our, our children are the future and at their most like critical age for development or critical, you know, time of development, they are choosing to end their own lives. And that is a reflection of our society and the stigma that, that we have in our society where we don't make it okay to talk about what we're experiencing and that for you know most of uh, American society we are just taking pills or finding ways to self-medicate and and hiding um, our struggles and doing our best to to blend in with this neuro normal world which is doing a great disservice to our to our youth and what it means for our educators is that you are what is it first responders you know you're on the front lines as far as far as um, being a buffer between or, or getting in the way or, or having opportunity to to save lives, right? Like you're going to be the ones that are going to notice. And, and I, I remember the burden of being a, a mandated reporter. It's one of the things I don't miss about being uh, directly in the classroom um, because God, it, it, it's a lot. It's a lot to have to be a mandated reporter, you know, when you're recognizing um that somebody might cause themselves harm or that they're being harmed. But um, our teachers do need to, and it's just, not, just another thing that we need to be mindful of is the mental health of, of, our, of our staff as well, but also our, our students. Um, because you might be the one who stops the suicide, right? Who, 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 who could say that thing or provide the environment or the opportunity for that kid to reconsider. I know there, there's been times, you know, where I've, I've, I was suicidal, you know, when I was, um, I said, like I said, my first, I started at age 10. That was the first time I had a suicidal thought. And I had several more in middle school and, and lots in high school and, and, and in college, right? So I was definitely, I definitely followed that. Um, I mean, I don't know if it, it might, um, during my time, if it was a second leading cause of death, but I, I definitely was suicidal um, all of those years. So um, the book I'm reading... Uh, Modern Madness, it said that for um, for black people, for black youth, over the last 15 years, the suicide rate has gone up 60% for our black males and 180% for our black females. And I want to speak to that because we we always focus on our, our black males. When we focus on black people, we focus on our black males, but we don't focus on our black females. I don't have any statistics for our black non-binary youth, but I'm sure that that's very high too, because a lot of times, you know, um, because of the, the, the ignorance around gender identity and, um, and also I'm sure that it's high around, um, black youth, uh, uh, various sexual orientations, because again, the homophobia, um, but 180% among our black female youth and what our black female and well, our, what our black youth is taught or black community is taught is be strong. Your ancestors in, in, endured so much more. So be strong. I do want to give thanks to the ancestors because I didn't do that. So thank you, ancestors, for all that you endured. Um, but it's like they went crazy too. They, they, they lost their shit too because they didn't have, you know, because of all the trauma, I can only imagine. But the point being is that our black girls are really suffering. We, we often, I see a lot of programs for our black boys. We don't think as much about our black girls. You know, when we're talking about black youth, we're usually focused on our black boys and it's just the black girls get, they fall through the cracks and, you know, up 180%, that is, that is horrific. And 
So, and then when it comes to our, our, our youth who identify as LGBTQIA, and again, you can be of color and of the LGBTQIA, so it's not like these groups are all mutually exclusive, but they're twice as likely to be suicidal um, youth from the LGBTQIA population, and they're um, four times as likely to commit a, a um, to attempt suicide. And so when these populations then go out to seek mental health help, they're often faced with various forms of discrimination and lack of cultural competency. There's a lack of representation, you know, in their providers and in the health industry. And there's also a lack of trust, right? Where it's like these health industries have provided and, and uh, sources of trauma for these communities. So what that means is what what that what, why this is important for everybody is that we are all interdependent on each other's fucking fucking sanity. Like it's so basic, right? Like I need you to be sane. You need me to be sane. It's important. Like when we're on the freeway, right? When you see that one person driving recklessly, that puts us all at risk. It's just like with coronavirus, right? Like we can't have some people who have access to the vaccination or, or to, to healthy environments and other people who don't because eventually we're all going to be affected. We're all one. We're all one. If it's out there, we're going to be affected. And so we can't, this whole system of, of capitalism and, and white supremacy and the hierarchy where some people get access to health care and others don't doesn't work for any of us. It doesn't work for any of us because we're all going to have to work together. At some, at, you know, we all live together. We function in society together. You know, it doesn't matter how much you try to have your gated communities and how try to have your exclusive clubs and your exclusive country clubs and societies. Like at the end of the day, you know, if, if, if I get a cold, you get a cold, right? Like that's, 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 that's the reality. So we need to do more to invest in the mental health of everyone. Our medical industry, just like our schools, need to invest in decolonizing their white supremacist, you know, heterosexist, um, toxic masculinity, like all, all of that is, is, is causing our society to suffer unnecessarily. And it is ridiculous. And, and it's, it's, appalling that you know suicide is the second leading cause of of death between for 10 to 24 year olds because that's preventable but we're we're a society that perpetuates um mania and that perpetuates you know not taking care of yourself and perpetuates putting your your paycheck over your well-being and your wellness um and that is is to our detriment it's to our detriment. And so what that leads to is um, misdiagnosis, right? So like I was misdiagnosed as just being depressed and people didn't see my bipolar disorder. Well, when you treat depression like, um, um, when you treat bipolar like depression, it can cause suicidal like thoughts. Like when you see those commercials that are like, oh, if you're depressed, take this antidepressant. Oh, well, it might cause suicidal thoughts. And it's like, ah, the side effects of all this medication it's ridiculous. And I want to speak to that because people are like, oh, we'll just get on meds. Where is what happens when you get on meds? First of all, good luck getting an appointment. If you have health insurance, that's awesome. Most people don't have health insurance. And so finding a doctor that you can speak to um, who has appointments available, who doesn't have a three-month wait list, who knows what they're talking about, who you can afford, all of that is difficult. And then finding time to go to the doctor because you probably have to take time off of work, etc. And then making excuses about what the appointment's for because there's stigma. Um, and then you, 
a lot of times, like maybe you're going to a general practitioner and they have to refer you to the psychiatric unit. And then, and then from there you see, a, uh, you might see a psychiatrist, um, and, um, usually get a psyche valve. It's, ex- it's expensive as hell between like 500 and a thousand dollars. And then they, they put you on some meds and the meds cost money. I know for my medication, um, I'm spending like over like a thousand dollars a month on medication. So it's hell expensive. And then it may or may not work. You have to wait, uh, wait six weeks and see if it's going to work or not. Um, and in the meantime, you might get all kind of terrible side effects, um, that, impact your life in, in negative ways. And if that medication doesn't work, they'll either up your dose or lower your dose when you go back to another appointment, which also has a copay. Um, and then that that might help or not, or maybe they put you on a new medication that helps or not. In the meantime, you're potentially doing all this damage to your body that can cause all kind of other complications. And um, there is no guarantee that you will ever find the perfect balance or that the medications will do any good for you at all or sometimes they work for a couple of years and then just stop working it's really a guessing game and it's a like if you're immediately if you're suicidal in this moment you know telling you know somebody here take this pill and wait six weeks maybe it will work for you maybe it won't is is not helpful right when it's like i wanted to slip my throat right now and you're going to tell me like and, and and you know you have to wait for an appointment for it it's just not helpful. And then when you have therapists and counselors and people in the medical field who are who don't have cultural competency, those appointments can be traumatic. So like I remember I was going to a counseling appointment with Kaiser and I was talking about the racism I was experiencing on my job, um, working at one of the largest high schools in San Jose. And I was animated and I was agitated. I was probably in a mixed state, but I wasn't I wasn't aggressive. I wasn't like directing this at my therapist. I was just, I was expressing how mad I was and frustrated I was at my job. And she was telling me to lower my voice and to calm down or she was going to have to call security. Now that is triggering as hell, you know? And it's like, this is the last thing I need when I'm, I'm trying to get help because I am being agitated and aggravated and, and, and traumatized by my shitty ass racist job. And here I am at my appointment and this white woman is getting afraid because she has no cultural competency and then also threatening to call security on me, which is triggering as hell. And so that's an example of seeking help and being traumatized in the process of, of seeking help, right? I left that appointment in a worse state than I did when I arrived. And so that, that, those types of experiences create mistrust where there already is mistrust, right? It was already hard enough for me to make the appointment, to go into the damn facility. Like, I don't trust doctors. It was hard enough for me to get vaccinated, right? Like, I don't trust any of this stuff because I know it. I I study this stuff. I research it. I know um, about the Tuskegee experiment. I know about medical, um, the way that they've they've removed the uteruses of of black and brown women and and just all kinds of ways they've used as guinea pigs, like uh, Marion Sims and the abuse that he did on on, on enslaved women. A lot of the the advances we have in gynecology come from the uh, medical abuse that um, Marion Sims did on um, enslaved women. And he did this without anesthesia, which is why a lot of doctors have the believe that, you know, black people don't experience pain, that we experience 50% less. They, they, they believe that, yeah, that we don't experience pain at the same level as whites. And they think that when we come in and complain about pain, that we're all just drug addicts and that we're, we don't really 
we're not really in pain, which is also about that mindset, you know, is prevalent in, in the mental health institution. So when a black person comes in and says they're depressed, that's that's dismissed. That's that's diminished by by white doctors because they don't recognize our pain um, or they don't, they don't recognize us, you know, as fully human, let alone let alone like our pain on par with theirs. In addition to like a black person is more likely to downplay their their symptoms be, because I know I do because I don't, I don't I don't I don't trust people. I don't really want you to know how bad it is for me. Um, and also, like, I'm, I guess I'm probably catering to the myth that I'm supposed to be superwoman. Um, so, yeah, lack of access, lack of lack of um, cultural competency, the stigma. Um, what are people gonna say? But the studies I've seen, or not even studies, what I've heard is that one out of five uh, people in the United States is dealing with some type of um, mental health issue and is on some type of mental health medication and primarily antidepressants. And we're, we're doing this, you know, we're all kind of people. We're all, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, what you think in your mind or people just wandering on the streets talking to themselves, but also like professionals, right? Judges and, and, and lawyers and teachers and baristas and furniture makers and carpet cleaners. And, you know, we're, we're all out there, veterinarians and, and teachers and students and, and families. And, and we shouldn't have to hide. We shouldn't have to suffer in silence. We shouldn't have to worry about how we're gonna be perceived and what people are gonna say and are we gonna lose our jobs and are we gonna lose clients? Like, that's not how people should should live. And, and I, I am willing to tell my story, you know, to, um, to normalize it because we need to, we need to understand that a lot of a lot more people than we than we give credit for than we are than we realize are dealing with a mental health issue at any given time and that our society really does not support wellness like mental wellness it really doesn't um, especially in different marginalized communities and especially in our children and our children really don't have an understanding of what's happened to them like I like now that I know that I have bipolar 2 disorder um, I'm able to look back at my childhood and put so many things in perspective. Like I used to have just such rage as a kid and I had a punching bag and I used to punch holes in the wall. Like I just, I was like, I had this just rage and I, and I, and I, I couldn't understand it. And I was just really moody. Right. Like, and I couldn't understand that either. And, 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 and people, you know, want to say, well, that's just, you know, just being a teenager, just being a middle schooler. And yeah, some of that was, was that, but also it was, it was something else. And so, um, if I had just even known that of the possibility that there's something going on with my brain, that that would have been very helpful so that I would not internalize my failure, my, my failure to be neuronormal, to blend in, right? To like, why can't I be like everybody else? Why can't I just control myself? Why can't I just snap out of this, you know, depression with, with some exercise and like, and look on the bright side. That's what everybody else seems to do. Why, why can't I just, you know, rein it in? Like what's, what's wrong with me? Um, why can't I get it together? Like, and, uh, I would have had to just have more compassion for myself and been able, better able to advocate for myself. This is what I need. And this is why I need it. And, and people who can't appreciate that, like walking away, right? I don't, I don't have anything to prove to anybody. I don't need to prove to you, you know, that this is real, like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I, 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 I know what I need. So I just feel like we're really failing society. We're failing our, our students. We're failing people by 
not allowing more opportunity to learn and to um, to be real about what we experience. And for people, people shouldn't have to worry about like, am I going to still be loved? Am I going to still be able to be gainfully employed? Am I going to, you know, what's going to happen? How is society going to turn on me if they know about, if they know about this? And one of the reasons why I'm doing this is because I know that, I mean, from, from, from my experience of being someone who's willing to say the things that other people don't want to say is that I usually get an outpouring of me too. And that's very fulfilling because it's lonely. I mean, the isolation and the shame and the hiding and the lying creates more madness. It, it feeds the stigma. And, and really, I mean, what it all comes down to is it, is it um, more lives are lost. I think it's like 120 people a day. I don't know, some, some, some high-ass number. Every day, you know, people in their lives or people lose their, their battle with mental health. And I, there's so many days. There's so many. I've set so many dates for so many times that I was suicidal. that I was like, this is it. This is the last day of my life. This is it. You know, and, and one of them was, was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago was going to be the last day of my life. And that's, that's like, every, like every year, this is like, you know, how I'm living and and then the day passes and you know I I I go about my business and nobody's the wiser right like I usually like a lot of times I don't reach out a lot of times I don't um and I just I go about my business and I blend in and you know people ask me how I am and and I and I might I might tell them I'm not great but I don't generally say I'm suicidal or I was suicidal, or I, or I planned my suicide. Like, I, I generally don't say those things, right? We just, or, or sometimes we do, we do attempt suicide, and then we live, and then we just, we go about it, right? We hide, we hide the scars. We hide the areas where we've, we've cut ourselves, or we've done the self-harm. We, we put the, like, for me, I put the concealer on, you know, so you can't see my eyes, right? Um, we hide it. We hide it, and that hiding is so lonely, it's so exhausting. It's unnecessary. I mean, it is necessary, but it's not necessary. Like, I get why people do it, but it's just like, I don't want to do it anymore. Um, and I'm, I'm to the point where, like, I kind of can't. I don't know if I'm t- just tired or if my symptoms are getting worse, but it's just like, you're, you'll probably see it, you know, <laughs> like at some point you'll see it. And I know that like, there's, I, I, I could go back to my podcast episodes and be like, oh, I was in a mixed state when I did that one. Um, I was in, you know, I was in, I was in a, a depressed state when I did that one. When I, I probably didn't do too many when I was depressed because I don't really want, like to do much of anything when I'm depressed. But, but yeah, um, it's worth it because it saves lives. And to me, there's, there's, it's exhilarating to be real. Like, I'm just, I'm so, <sighs> it is exhausting and so much effort to like pretend like everything's okay all the fucking time. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. There's sometimes I feel great and things are great. And sometimes when things really aren't great. And, um, 
I think for most people are really looking for an opportunity to exhale and to like take their wig off and, you know, like stop, stop fronting. Like we spend so much, so much time performing. And so that's part of what it is for me. And then also just acceptance. Like I really, I accepted depression, but then when it would lift, I would think like I'm not depressed anymore. So that was like a a reoccurring cycle of, okay, I'm depressed, but okay, I feel better now. I'm depressed. I feel better now. But the bipolar was, was hard to accept. And, and also because I didn't receive a lot of information. It's not like I really got like, like if somebody were to tell you that you have like HIV or like cancer, there's going to be like a real long in-depth conversation, I would imagine. And then also like ongoing support to help you accept your diagnosis. And like, this is how you should care for yourself. And that wasn't my experience with, with bipolar. You know, it was, it, I felt like it was a very quick assessment so I didn't really trust that. I'm like, how do you know? And then there was no like, well, this is what it means. And this is, you know, this is how you can accept your diagnosis. And this is what you need to do. Like, it was just like, so, and then it's just like, well, what does that even mean? Right? What is that? Like, I don't understand. So anyway, um, if there had been more information like this out there, I would have had an easier time. And like, like a lot of people who get diagnosed with bipolar, like it took me over 10 years. Like, I think for me, it was, it was like 20 years. Fuck. Yeah. It was like 20 years, maybe even more than that of not knowing that I was bipolar, of thinking it was depression or a PMDD or hyperthyroid, or I don't know. I looked at all kinds of shit. Like what the fuck is going on with me? You know? And that's a long time. I mean, and the thing too is like, it's, you could see how somebody could just give up in that, in that, in that process of like, I've been at this for 24 years. I have been, you know, seeing therapists and trying medications and trying new ways of, of trying to be healthy for 24 years and nothing has worked. You could see how somebody might lose their, you know, their battle with mental health and do those conditions. So I just, I commend everybody who is functioning with a mental health issue. And uh, I understand why people feel the need to hide and also hiding feeds it, you know, and that we need to, um, I encourage everyone to just not be ashamed and to also recognize, to redefine it, right? Like I said, like, I don't like the idea of mental illness because I do feel like neurodivergent with dangerous gifts is a better description because I I feel like in some ways like when I'm depressed I feel like beneath all of society right I can't do anything like I can't function but when I'm hypo I can do anything like I'm amazing and I can I can I can do things that are like incredible so on one hand the depression sucks you know that the the, the, the mixed states are, 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 are horrific and scary um but the hypomanic states, I've accomplished a lot and I've done some really incredible things in that state where, you know, things that other people haven't done. So I do feel like, I don't feel like it's all bad. I don't feel like it's all good. Um, but the idea of just mental illness just doesn't fully convey all of it. It's just a different experience and it's a different way of existing and a different way of, of being that the world isn't necessarily 
hasn't hasn't found a way to accommodate or make room for. But also, you know, when it comes to bipolar people and other people who have quote unquote mental illnesses or mental health issues, we're some of the most creative, dynamic, innovative, brilliant people out there. There's so many of us, you know, so many of us, um, like Jimi Hendrix, I think was both bipolar, um, um, Marilyn Monroe, um, so many, um, Mariah Carey, there's a lot, I think Jim Carey, there's a lot of us just, I don't, there's a list goes on and on, Catherine Zeta Jones, there's just a bunch of people, um, Princess Leia from Star Wars, uh, Kanye West, but people who are very accomplished, um, but, and very creative and have added a lot of, of different perspective to the world, but also have, have these issues. And, and, and I, I guess part of me is, um, drawn to the idea of like the, like a lot of the times the artist, the eccentric artist, right? I guess that's, that's, I, I kind of like that identity to a, a degree. Cause I definitely feel like I'm, I'm creative and out of, out of, out of the box thinker in many respects, but also like. I got my moods. Um, so I believe that is what I want to say for now about mental health. And I encourage, I encourage people to get all the help that they need and to not, to not stop, to be unapologetic. And again, one of the reasons I created my business was to cater my life around my wellness and not have to cater my wellness around my life. Meaning that when I needed to take, after I was suicidal two weeks ago, I took a week off and I've, I've, I, I did what I needed to do or I'm, I'm doing what I need to do to be in a better place, right? To, to really give myself the time necessary to be well. Whereas if I was working for somebody else, and maybe that, you know, I might take a couple days, I certainly wouldn't disclose what's going on with me. I certainly wouldn't, you know, advocate as hard as I would, I needed to, to be alive. And so you might need to reconsider your life. Because I know for me, that starting my own business and working on my own terms has been a much better solution than working on someone else's terms. Because because of my states, like I, when I'm hypo, like I'm very productive. And when I'm depressed, I'm not, um, I can definitely get things done, but I need to do it, you know, regarding my, with regard to my energy levels and with regards to my moods. And so working for myself allows me to do that, um, where I don't, I don't overwhelm myself on any given day, right? Well, they have a couple of things on any given day and I can generally, I can get through those things, you know, um, for the most part, uh, unencumbered. And I've designed my life like that. And so for those of you who are living with mental health issues and conditions, consider that there are other ways to live um, and other ways to generate income that will allow you to get all the sleep you need or you know, adjust to your medications or whatever it is you need. So, NB, the National Alliance of Medical something, I don't know. I think it's N-A, N is in Nancy, A is, is in alligator, M is in medical, and I is an institution. That is a resource for mental health um, resources. So, I feel like I should provide some, but I don't really know that many. Um, but 
yeah, you might want to Google, Google different resources. Um, and I can tell you the book that I'm reading that I found really helpful. Um, the one I really like so far is Modern Madness by Terry Cheney. I read her first one, Manic, which I do like, but it's definitely triggering. Um, Modern Madness, I appreciate it because it's very um, explicit about her experiences being bipolar. She also just talks about mental health issues in general. And she has like helpful tips. Like she has, um, yeah, she has helpful tips about what she's done that's helped her. So I recommend that book and I thank you for listening and I hope you get something out of this and um, I will speak to you on the next episode. In the meantime, take excellent care of yourself, give honor to the ancestors and uh, be well.